Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Swisspreneur. Today, I'm meeting Thomas Sterchi. Thomas is the founder of Jobs.ch, which eventually got sold to Tamedia and Ringje for over 400 million Swiss francs. Let's go and chat with him. Thomas, great to be here. Good to see you, Chris. <laughs> Again, um, we are here in a very important location for you. You are living here. Um, in the upper floors. Can you tell us a little bit about the location and where we are? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's our office building, actually, and it's an old uh, factory, sun tan lotion factory, originally. And in the last decades, it used to be uh, used to host uh, mainly advertising companies and also one business uh, consulting company. And I live in this building on the, on the top floor since about 13 years. And when this business uh, consulting company got smaller and smaller and decided to move out, I had the chance to take the whole building over and set up our offices here. And who is actually working here and uh, how many we have, people? Uh, we, have, we have about 60 people working here and run four companies out of here, which are Teleboy, Cineman, Two B two C portals uh, are quite important in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. uh, prospective, prospective Media Services, which is a company that I founded with my original business partner already in 2000, is a, a media software company in the human resources industry. And we also have the team of Zermatt Unplugged who works out of here. Oh, okay. They are not based in Zermatt, they are based in Zurich. Yes, our base is here. Yes, it's just it's just a festival which takes place in Zermatt. the festival, and we have uh, you know the co-founder that I have for the festival. Mm -hmm. uh, he lives. He's a Zermatter. He lives there, and uh, but he has a, his own company, and he's responsible for uh, the infrastructure and production. He's based in Zermatt, and of course okay. we spend a lot of time in Zermatt also. Especially the manager of Zermatt Unplugged is like on a weekly base. He's up there. Okay, so we will come back to Zermatt Unplugged, but maybe we can start like with the question every startup entrepreneur would be interested because like almost no one had this financial success to selling a company in Switzerland to Swiss companies for, for, for that price amount, which was able to, to actually um, achieve, which you were able. Can you tell us a little bit how it felt and how this whole exit came along and especially also like how does that then in the end plays with private equity and selling a company to Tamedia and then Dringier eventually? Well, uh, I, you know, I was not operatively in the company anymore since uh, 2004, which is already quite a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and I had started new projects. I spent a lot of time in Zermatt at the time. And uh, of course, I was still the, the president of the company. Right. So I was maybe spending a total of 20, 30%. But there was a very good management team on it. It was actually three companies mm -hmm. you know, that we had at the time, Jobs.ch. Um, then our original publishing company, Job Index, and the Prospective Media Services, uh, who, we, who uh, I still own the majority of. And uh, and the, the the thing was that at the time we became, you know, then around 2006, it became clear uh, that we were the market leader in that uh, in that uh, area of uh, online job market in Switzerland, and it's 
is quite a big market. In 2000, for example, there was about 600 million spent by Swiss companies uh, in recruitment advertising, which is, which is a lot, especially compared to, to the population of mm -hmm. the country. So everyone was aware that it's quite an important business that is moving from print to online. We had established as the market leader in that field and, and of course uh, there was interest from uh, investors and interest from, um, from uh, trope market operators in other countries and also some interest of the publishing companies to, to buy or buy, you know, buy part of it or or by the company. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I think management was sort of ready for a new for a new owner. I was not so present anymore. I was running after my other new ideas. And, uh, and then we decided to kick off a process. And, and we met with one company, was at the time market leader in, a, in the USA. We even flew there uh, to Chicago. And after that, we decided really officially to start the process, which meant we looked at different mergers, M and A companies, mergers and acquisition companies, to handle that uh, that process for us. Which we were aware that it would be like a six to probably twelve months process. We had a good team of lawyers on it. Our our lead lawyer uh, was also even a, a shareholder of Jobs.ch. Mm -hmm. So we had a very good team working on it, and and then we opened up for for everyone who had interest and went through that process. Mm -hmm. That was end 2006 and, uh, and first half of 2007. And what was your role in that process? My, my role was uh, to be the unguided missile. That role was actually assigned to me by, the, uh, by the, um, uh, our lead consultant from the M&A business. <laughs> okay. But it's also, it comes very natural to me because I feel that I'm a, quite a free spirit and uh, yeah. and I, I tend to say what I think and, and mm -hmm. you know act uh, uh, what I believe so so it was was quite easy uh, but I was not very you know it didn't meant a lot of work for me because uh, as I said we had them we had this M&A team we had right. uh, uh, lawyers who knew our business very well and who we trusted a lot and we had a very good um, management team mm -hmm. who uh, had to of course you know provide a lot of information so it, it was the project was a lot of work but the work was not really on me right in the end of course the decision came down to me as being the main mm -hmm. shareholder mm -hmm. but uh, of course also I uh, you know I had a lot of uh, communication on that with my main uh, partner Matthias Zimmermann who's my co-founder of mm -hmm. it and, and and of course also the management because it was clear that if we do sell that it has to be the right decision for everyone especially also for management who then stays have to on. Stay on, right? Yes. Yeah. And did you, when you decided with Matthias to do that process, did you already know both that it will end in a in an exit, or how 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 is it like? How no, it was not clear. It was also I didn't I didn't want to commit. I uh, when we had our first when we had our, our kickoff meeting with the consultants um, and management, everyone on the table. You know, I said there was uh, there were three conditions, and one was I, I will not sell below a certain price. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want the strategy change because I, I, I felt, you know, like we were running around for a couple of years telling to clients and partners that's how we see the market. So mm -hmm. we didn't want to sell and someone else says, no, no, it's like that. And we didn't want uh, any people to get fired. So it was unlikely that we would sell to a competitor. 
unless the competitor would, you know, send off his crew mm. and and just take us over. And um, and that was the three were the three conditions. I was pretty positive that these would be uh, fulfilled, mm -hmm. so that it would end in a sale. But I was uh, unsure myself if I really wanted to sell until the very end. And I, it was always my attitude, you know, we don't have to sell. Mm -hmm. It's also a great option to just keep the company because the company obviously was was uh, uh, very cash positive already at the time, was market leader in a growing market. So there was no pressure, uh, no economical or financial pressure to sell. Yeah, was that one of maybe the success factors that you don't have to sell? Well, it helps, of course, if you have a business that is cash positive, you're a market leader, the market is growing, you automatically have a lot of interested buyers right. and, and, and uh, that totally brings you in a situation where you, yeah, you can relax or you're you can... You're at the steering wheel. Yes, yeah. yes. And how, how did you then finally decide to go? Was it Tiger Global, a private equity company, right? At yes, that type of global management. Yeah. yeah, so you decided to go with them. What were the reasons to decide to go with them? And actually, you then like selling to them was not just a sell, right? It's uh, when you sell or when you have private equity involved, there is always a little bit money that flows into the company. Probably a little bit of money flowed to the shareholders, but then you go for a second exit, right? Yes, but there was no money uh, flowing into the company because the company didn't have need any money. need of, uh, of, of money. Uh, so it, it went totally to the shareholders. Okay. Uh, of course, management who also had some shares couldn't sell, only could, only could sell a small part mm -hmm. um, of their shares. And, and we other shareholders kept I think a total, I think I still had 13% or something like that for, for a few years to go. Mm -hmm. And I still had to stay on the board for two years. That were the obligations mm -hmm. I had. And the reason I think was Tiger, it had to do with the offer in the end. Of course, it had to do with the price they were willing to pay. Mm -hmm. um, and they were also willing to pay that price. And that was another reason why it was a good buyer, because they understood the business. They already owned eight or nine stakes, not majority stakes necessarily, but minority and maybe one or two majority stakes in uh, online job markets outside of Switzerland. So they knew the business, they believed in the business. And it had a lot to do with this person who was the uh, account manager uh, responsible for doing this deal from uh, Tiger's side, who was a very young guy actually, uh, but very knowledgeable. Uh, he, uh, I think he did everything right in, the, in that process where there were a lot of other bidders. And, and, and in the end, you know, he got what he wanted. He wanted to buy uh, that company. And it was clear for management that he would, he believed, he understood the business. He believed in the company. He believed in the management. He would let them alone develop the business. You know, of course, you know, there would be goals uh, there would be budgets to met, be met, etc. Mm -hmm. But but he would leave them alone to develop the business. That that is also how it happened. So everyone was happy, you know. Mm -hmm. And the end, Tiger was also happy because they knew when they bought. It's not one of the deals where you uh, go on an early stage and then you hope to maybe third, make thirty times of what you invested. It was clear that that was not going to happen. But then it was also clear that it's very unlikely that they're going to lose any money. So, you know, it was right. safer, but something that's not where they're not going to exit with a very high multiple, right. obviously. So the question was more how many times can the multiple be, but not 
do it, is there still a company? So it was clear that there will be a company. And mm. I actually, and you knew that they will sell again, right? They, yes. they were not planning on keeping it in as a no, portfolio it company. Was clear, it was clear that it's somewhere between three or seven, but probably yeah. more than three or five years where they will try to resell or, or, uh, or um, do an IPO which were they they were looking at that also okay. uh, at the time it was very close i think uh, to an ipo at one point uh, before then uh, tamidia and rinke bought it and that was clear yes mm -hmm. and how was it for you when it uh, like the phase when you so you were on the board for another two years or did you even stay longer no i stayed less you stayed less <laughs> yes okay. so because uh, i think it was already when i got the first uh, invitation to the general assembly mm -hmm. uh, with uh, uh, with the um, the minutes of the mm -hmm. meeting and the proposal of the board you know and said okay but I was never even seen that I didn't see it before you know was that like okay fine fine you know they can of course dominate and, and determine but but if you take all the decisions without even including the board, that doesn't make any sense. I stay on, okay. which we then all agreed on, and, okay, and, and, so it and was not on a good, uh, on know, a good level, on a good level. Yeah, okay. I, I even remained in in touch with a guy from Tiger. Met him a few times after, the, after that, the even deal. in New York, where he, where he's based, and mm -hmm. uh, that remained a good and friendly contact in okay. every sense. So. A great story. So. Yeah, it's turned out very well for you, but maybe we can take or start with the early life. Like, how did that build up to what it was and how, how, how it built to what you are doing now as an entrepreneur? Because I think you, you are, and in Switzerland, that's something that no one really talks about. But I think it's very important to have these role models. So you are an entrepreneurial role model because you do things and you achieve things. So maybe you can tell us a little bit, is entrepreneurship something that was there really early on in your life or is it something that started to build at a certain point? Well, uh, entrepreneurship as entrepreneurship, maybe it started to build at a certain point, but uh, I always like to create things or organize stuff, you know, even when I was at the Boy Scouts or even in schools, uh, we started projects and organized trips and I always had a little bit the urge to, to, to create something and, and to be a little bit in charge of my own life, but also of certain things that I organize. So in that sense, that was maybe a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit that you could detect in my early life. And after, I always had lots of ideas. And then at one point, you know, I came to the point to say, okay, it's nice to have all these ideas, but at some point maybe I have to commit and really start doing, uh, start realizing one of these ideas. Mm -hmm. Is there something you remember from your childhood where the first time, like, did you go to a market and sell something or do you have some memory which you can think back of that you did some very entrepreneurial a story you can tell us or something you can share? Um, well, stuff, stuff that we did at the Boy Scouts, but one that we did in the teenage years is uh, funny enough with the founder of Travel.ch, uh, who's called Roland, and mm -hmm. together we had that Romash Youth Club. Uh, Ro stands for Roland, Mash stands for Thomas. <laughs> and it was uh, basically, we were, we, we were uh, con uh, um, connecting um, 
people who are looking on different continents who were looking for friendships through letters. I don't even mm -hmm. know how you s to say that in English. Yeah, a, pa uh, a, a pal. Uh, and, um, because I think we've forgotten about, about, yeah, we've forgotten about how but that, 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 <laughs> that, that exists. Now we are just writing emails. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. At the time, you know, there was actually, that was uh, some kind of a market that you were looking for, like someone to exchange your mm -hmm. letters and so on. And we were sort of uh, trying to become a hub for that. And at the same time, we were organizing trips, uh, bus trips and so on. Mm -hmm. And that was when we maybe, uh, we met through the Boy Scouts and it was maybe when we were 16 or so on. And, but we started to build that as a business, but it was also, it was of course only a very small business, mm -hmm. but that was maybe the first sort of entrepreneurial steps we took. Did you charge for connecting these people? Or was yes, connect yes. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. How much did you charge? Do you that, remember? I, no, I don't no. remember. That. But it was probably not much, right? Was no, it was that? not much, but they had to put some, you know, the dollars was a bill at the time, so mm -hmm. they had to put some dollars in, in, in envelope? the envelope. And, and then the, these uh, envelopes with these dollars arrived, you know, <laughs> which is somehow cool. Okay. And probably it also inspired Roland, who then uh, founded travel.ch, which all, also is a very successful company and did an exit so it maybe we could say uh, boy scout is a good good place to start um, an entrepreneurial uh, career definitely definitely you know i would say i probably learned more at the boy scouts that helped my entrepreneurial career than in school <laughs> can you like elaborate a little bit on that was there some special oh. things you learned at boy well, scout you still you know, remember you, you get you 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 can get into a leadership position then you have a little bit of that competition that might be when you run one little section like you want to grow it you want to raise some money to, so that you can do cool projects you have to you have to um, you know develop your social skills in in mm -hmm. the leadership but mm -hmm. you know with dealing the people around you and above you and what are the most important social skills you later on like realized that was important that to actually grow in a company or you still have these social skills like mm. working with others can you I think it's uh, it's probably empathy I don't even know if that exists mm -hmm. in English mm -hmm. in German you say empathy yeah. Yeah. Um, which to me has a lot to do with like putting someone else's hat on yeah. as we say in German yeah. you know like like mm -hmm. also understanding what is the other person's point of view mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that uh, whether it's employees or whether it's uh, business partners uh, or uh, your clients um, just to take another person's point of view yeah and that is a social skill in my opinion it's probably the most important and probably you developed that really early on already like at Boy Scout when you had to make other people passionate about your projects and yes. to sleep in the woods or build a fire yeah, or whatever yeah. you were doing <laughs> have to bring their passion um, then after you did school um, you decided to uh, to do an apprenticeship, right? Yes. Yes. This commercial apprenticeship, the Carfo. Yeah. The Carfo, and you got into the the publisher industry, right? And in 2000, uh, 1993, you decided to start your own company. Yes. Well, yes. In brief, yes. And was that with Matthias? Yes. Yes. And what were the thoughts? Why did you start a company at that point? And, and, and how much, like, what were you doing at that time before you started the company? Well, you know, honestly, looking back, we were very naive. We were quite young, but that doesn't mean you have to be naive. But we were quite naive, which sometimes can help. 
mm-hmm. you know, to yeah, not knowing on. everything. Yes, because uh, uh, it just sometimes you just have to get going and do something, and when you're in it, you know. Nowadays, I think the way uh, the startup work of often is it's very different, but mm-hmm. then some things also, of course, are more, much more technological than they were at the time. So we had this idea of this uh, of this uh, special uh, print job market, which was called Job Index, and mm-hmm. uh, sort of an uh, sort of an index that we did, uh, which was abstract of job ads that appeared in all the newspapers, and and then uh, the user, uh, which was not the user at the time, was the reader actually right, was uh, right. <laughs> subscribing uh, to the newspaper mm-hmm. uh, or was buying the newspaper at the newsstand. Mm-hmm. So that was the business case that we started originally in '93, and we just thought it was a fantastic idea, which didn't really work, and it was only because of the the partnership of uh, of. Uh, uh, entrepreneur in uh, in 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 Zug, a printer who believed very much in us that we could uh, survive with this project over two years, mm-hmm. but we started then to market for other uh, publishers, um, job advertisements, recruiting advertisements, and we started to build our own uh, specialized magazines on human resources market and uh, and the workplace Switzerland. So. We, we just managed to get out of that original business that didn't work, but found new uh, projects that with what we have learned, we could sort of grow and, and survive. Why did, why did the initial idea didn't work? What do you think? Uh, it's, actually, it's actually hard to say. I've never so totally thought about it. It's... Um, in the, in in the, in the end, the market just didn't work that way. You know, the 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 the, uh, the, the, the job seekers were used to Tagesanzeiger. The mm-hmm. uh, employers put their ads in Tagesanzeiger, and that was and that was it. You know, and, yeah. and um, I mean, I would say it's always very important to you know like analyze why does something not work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we just made a lot of assumptions. You didn't put uh, yourself didn't. in these customer shoes we talked about, right? Yes, maybe not enough, uh, mm-hmm. just with or not with enough um, experience at the time, yeah. or you know, not enough, not enough analysis. Right. So that was like we we talked about, or we didn't talk about failure, but we wanted to talk about failure, and that was actually like failing a bit at that point, right? Yes, you of course. Realized yeah. that it doesn't work, and but then you didn't stop doing anything. You didn't say, okay, that was it. I go back to my job. You you. You, you, you reassembled and came out with new ideas. And like, where did you take the confidence or the energy to say, okay, this didn't work. If we twist it or tweak it a little bit, then it might work. Was that something which was just possible because you were together with Matthias or is it something which is very much in your nature or where, where did that come from? Uh, well, I think you always have the option, you know, to like look uh, back and whine on uh, what has gone wrong and why it has gone wrong, or you can look forward. And normally, there are some doors that open, mm-hmm. you know, and we have some experience or some know-how that you accumulated on 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 that path uh, of uh, your company that might not have worked. But but then when you look around with this, you know, it gave you some preparation. When you look around, there are opportunities and there are doors. 
uh, that open and say, okay, well, it didn't work the way I thought it would, but uh, with the contacts that I could build with mm -hmm. this business on, and, and the know-how that I accumulated on how that market works, maybe this can work, you know, and then maybe you find a partner and he says, okay, well, let's try that, which in our case was, you know, that we worked for other publishers and we, and, and, and we marketed their advertising section in, 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 in job recruiting was not a huge business, but it helped us to grow and, and, and survive, you know, until other options opened up. You yeah. know? And then at one point we, we decided, because there was like a, a yearly guide that existed on, a, on a advertising agencies. It was called Portra Schweizer Kommunikationswirtschaft in, a, in, in Switzerland. And uh, we said we're going to do the same on the human resources industry, on all the on all the headhunters. You know, the companies would pay; they would have to be selected, but then they would pay to present themselves, and um, and the book would also be sold. And we managed to uh, get Bilanz as a partner to promote the, to promote the books, and we sold these portraits, and that was a, that was quite a good business. And it was at the time when internet started. So we were thinking into, okay, how could we uh, offer to our clients, the headhunters, uh, what could we offer to them online? Because we said we're going to go mm -hmm. online with that guide yeah. at the same time, and we want to we want to give them something, um, some added value, and uh, and that's where in the end this uh, job market idea came up. Yeah. So it was not initially planned. It was actually a door that opened or a window that opened at a certain time. Yes. And then you realized, okay, that's now the way we are going. Um, and when did you realize that there is such a big room behind this door? Like how did, when did you start realizing, wow, that's now, that will now actually be our main business. At the beginning you thought, okay, that could be a feature it's an or add -on something. For the, yeah, yeah, for an add-on for what we are doing. And then you realized, wow, there is much more. Like how, how did that come about? And I think it was it was it was very early on because um, when we when we were wanted to do that uh, add-on, uh, the first thing of course was to bring these portraits of the companies online. And then the second idea was, uh, well, they can also publish their job openings online. And then we were thinking about creating a job market of our own. And uh, we're talking to the founder of search.ch mm -hmm. at the time. And, but he had decided not to use us, but a uh, 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 job market that already existed from, from Bern, was founded by a student mm -hmm. uh, and, and developed by one developer. And we connected with them and then went together. And when uh, when he showed me for the first time, when he came right away, when I called him, he came to Zurich. And when he showed me for the first time, uh, the, uh, the number of views that he already got on a very small job market that was not making any money at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, but the number of views that he already generated on like maybe 150 jobs, I thought, well, this, this, this might really make a difference. This for the first time, this might change, uh, this market. Because the problem with the, the problem what we had with marketing these job ads with the, uh, for the other publishing companies is that, that the, the employer would not get enough 
um, uh, applications. applications. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, even though our ads cost a lot less than maybe in Tagesan Sager, in the end it was critical to have a big reach, right. you know, and to get, uh, to get as many applications as possible, or at least the best possible applications. And we couldn't really deliver that. And, and, and when, when, you saw when I saw views. that for the first time, I said, with this number of views already at this time, uh, this will work. This will there bring will applications, applications. And, uh, and this might change the market. And I think that was maybe in 98 or so, mm -hmm. like 20 years ago almost. Yeah. And did you already have jobs.ch at that point? Because no. how did you come to the, this the, domain? The platform was called Swiss Web Jobs at the time. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, was then taken over by us. It's a little mm -hmm. bit of a complicated uh, yeah. history, and then, uh, and then only later on we bought, uh, or in the process of taking over, we we bought uh, job.ch and jobs.ch. Decided okay. to use jobs.ch as because the there name. is more than one job. Or yes, exactly. Probably there yeah. are a lot of jobs on the platform. Yes. And who owned it by that time? It was an agency in a, in a San Carlos. Okay. We originally wanted to do the project with them, but for some reason we didn't manage uh, to, to put that on the ground together or they didn't have the capacity really to, to, to do all the technical stuff because they had so many projects. Then we decided we take it over. Do you remember uh, how much you, you paid at that time for jobs.ch? For the, buying the domain? No, it was, a, it was a, I think it was six digit sum somehow. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. It was For us, it was a lot of money at the yeah. time. But you but knew that uh, it will be crucial to success. It's not, it, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure if we... I think it, it really helped and it made things faster for us. Mm -hmm. But it could also have worked maybe with another name. Uh, I think it was not... I think we should not overestimate the aspect of that name. But, but I think it did... I mean, it did help, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't say how many percent of it is, or if it would not have been possible to become the market leader without that name. Yeah, but it was one of the factors. Put it yes, that way. yes, absolutely. Yeah. So in the end, I think it's uh, it's uh, incredible to start something and realizing that you are onto something, but then growing it and really making it um, some a substantial business. I think that's the other very very important part and probably the more painful part. Could you tell us a little bit when you realized, okay, this is now growing and um, we are successful here. How did you grow the company and how fast did you grow it? Well, you know, I think often it's not the same person to, to really detect the opportunity and to set things up and, 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 and really bring it, uh, bring it on the ramp um, as then the person who actually develops and builds the business, you know, and I think I was very lucky to to have a good partner with Matthias Zimmermann, uh, who was my co-founder, uh, who is a different kind of person with different talents and different uh, um, and different uh, traits. And then we also had a very good management team very early on for jobs.ch, who really very systematically and committed uh, built the company. And and, uh, and and I think in the end it's a bit the chemistry of the right people who who, who make the difference. Whether you know you you're onto a great idea and but then you lose it somehow, or from the great idea or great project and the great opportunity you can build it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And it was never an option for you that you are growing the company. So you, at the beginning, you already were clear that you will bring it onto the ramp and then you will stand by as a, as a chairman, which is a very important role. But you gave the others the freedom to actually develop the company. So Matthias... Well, I was the first, I was the first um, manager or general manager, if you want, of Jobs.ch. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was not called Jobs.ch, and then and then I moved on to be the manager of the holding company because we had these three companies. Mm-hmm. You know, then when in 2000 it was already three companies, and uh, and I went on to that. And and the the person was called Mark, who uh, who we employed actually as a sales and marketing director in uh, I think 99. Uh, we made him to become the the manager and CEO of uh, Jobs.ch quite quick because we felt that he is really the right person and it proved he was, he went on to, he, he stayed on as a CEO until two years ago. With wow. The company, so. Okay. And how did you pick him? Like, how did you find someone like that? Was it pure luck or was it, did you have some strategy to find someone like that? Because no, it was, probably it, a lot of founders would wish to have someone who, who has this, this skill set. Because I think that what you're saying is very, very obvious. I think um, a lot of these people who have the ideas and come up with these ideas are often not the ones who can manage it. And the ones who can manage it are not the ones who come up with the Mm -hmm. ideas. But realizing that this is the way a lot of founders don't do. A lot of founders stay on and start to manage their companies, not very successful. Sometimes because they don't find these people, sometimes they just don't realize. But was there... Actually, there come there are two questions coming to my mind. Maybe starting with the first one is, um, did you how did you find Mark, and was it easy to find someone like that, or did you have to do trials to find? You know, you have to realize at the time it was like uh, 98, 99. We were at the techno park. It was like in the midst of uh, you know the the, what the, we call the dot com bubble. So there were a lot of people interested in 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 in. Going going on board with one of these uh, new internet companies and so on. And he was coming from the electronic media sales and uh, was already sales manager in a company at the age of 27 or 28, so pretty young. But actually, we, we had found him, we had, we had uh, given to one of the headhunters that he had worked with, uh, we had given them an assignment to mm-hmm. find a key account manager for us, actually. And at the time when we did the assignment, we only wanted to employ one key account manager for the job market. Mm-hmm. And, and we ended up hiring, out of that one assignment, we ended up hiring uh, four, five people. And one of them was Mark, because we realized everything would grow so fast, we would need more people. And, and there was so much interest, and they brought us really great profiles, great people. And, and uh, some of them are still with, uh, with jobs, you know. So, so that was a that round of, of hiring was really super super successful. For so us. so you would recommend to startups to already go early on with a headhunter to find these key talents because it's so important to have these people. Yes, yes, I think I would recommend if you if you have someone if you have someone there that you can trust, because it'll also give you a bit of a sparring partner because it can go so wrong, you know. Maybe you can even make some kind of a deal that you don't have to pay everything at the same time or whatever, or you can pay in shares. But, but it makes sense when you're not experienced uh, and you don't find the right person in your, in your, in your personal environment. And, and the right person, you know, the question is, what is the right person? Because the right person is not necessarily your best buddy, 
who maybe is very qualified and, uh, and, and has a master degree of anything, uh, but, but ticks very much like you, mm -hmm. because it's maybe a person who maybe will not become your best friend, but, 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 but ticks differently than you. And then, of course, you have to have that overlap uh, of uh, interest and also uh, a good communication and, and sort of stand for the same values. Mm -hmm. but, but, you, but it's good when you like function differently. And if, if, I, if a startup now says, okay, I'm, I'm taking this, uh, this leap of faith to, to work with a, with, a, with a headhunter, what should they look for in a headhunter? When do you say, okay, these are the ones, you, you, you mentioned trust, trust is important, but if you don't know them, then you first have to build trust. So it's not something that comes right away to you. If I now would uh, have a very important role for my company, and I would say, okay, I'm going to look for a headhunter, what would you recommend me? if I'm looking for someone? I think you have to, it really depends very much on the person and you have to have the feeling that this person really understands you and what you are looking for and you should let this person, def let her define the assignment, you know, what it is exactly that, that, that she or he thinks that you are looking for and then, and then see, you know, if that is what, what matches your need. Mm -hmm. but, but, but I think it's important that you get the feeling that this person understands you and, and, and your company and what exactly you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. And the other question that came to my mind was how or when did you realize that you want to step down? Like, and giving, like, it's one thing to have such talented people as Mark in your company, but then the other thing, probably a lot of these young th CEOs say, no, this is my company, I'm being the boss, why should I give it to someone else? Like, how did that take place? How did you to get that, that uh, clarity? You know, I think development, uh, development in, a, in a company, but also in a personal life, it's basically about change, always. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, stepping down is a very good thing, it's a very healthy thing. Uh, it, it enables change also for your personal life and, and, and my goal was always to step down, not into retirement but, but to become space to do other things. It might not necessarily need to more, lead to more fortune. You know, honestly, if I just look at the fortune part of it, I should just have sold later. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, but, it's, but in the end, life and I feel also business life, it's not always just about the immediate fortune, you know, it's about sort of a, long, a longer plan. And, and, and I always uh, uh, looked at, even here with Tom Talent, you know, look at making myself disposable, not indispensable. Dispensable, <laughs> I think, is the right word. Yeah. Dispensable and not indispensable, you know, yeah. because uh, there's no point in running a company being indispensable as an owner or, or CEO. It's much mm -hmm. better when you say, uh, well, actually in a way I'm, I'm not needed so much. So you can really think about the future of the comp, you can develop something new or you can do something totally different again. I'm right, I'm, I'm right now, I'm a little bit in the point here in this, uh, in this company, Tom Talent. I was for a month in Italy and I came back and my, uh, and, and my agenda is not full. Um, I have a lot of lunches and dinners booked out, but during the day I'm, I'm, I'm not full with meetings. That's why I can take the time to sit here with you. Right. But I'm not full. And, and at first it felt awkward. I'm, I'm gone for a month, but I'm, I'm not busy all the time now. Mm -hmm. But it means that we're now at the point with our, with our little group of companies here, where everyone has sort of arrived to their position, is doing their jo job good and yeah. well, and, and so it makes me a bit dispensable. Yeah. So you're not that 
much needed anymore. And yes. you still have time for thinking about new things. And it feels a bit awkward, but it also feels good because it means that we've done a good job together. Right, right. But I think that's maybe one of the other like other skills skills you have that you you build a company not around you that you are building a company for itself like there is not much um tom thomas in that company but there is like the company if you look at jobs jobs.ch or tom talent and all the different platforms they are like independent of your pers person yes yeah I think that's something which is a very, very important message and you designed it that way. You, you don't want to do it differently because you are over and over doing it again. I don't want it to be dependent on me. It's not fair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not even fair to the team. It's definitely not fair when you sell a company and mm -hmm. then, it, and then it, you, know, you sell it. It's basically dependent on you. The, the buyer doesn't realize and then the company falls apart, falls apart and right. people lose their jobs. It's, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm very happy and proud that jobs.ch after I went out, developed so so well. Yes, you know, yes. And, and how do you do it like when you're building something like that with the shares? Because there are people, talented people coming in and they probably want to have some kind of ownership. How do you do that then? Like Because if you build a company together with like a guy like Matthias and you are the main shareholders and then you're having a very talented team around you, then probably you will hit the point where they say but we are mainly running the show you guys are having your side projects and doing something differently how do you do that that they are motivated how much can you involve them and how how did you do it at jobs.ch you know i think for most people uh, they're not necessarily just motivated by the money or by shares i think they're looking for other things they're looking for appreciation they're looking for a good team uh, they're looking for something that, that fulfills them, where they have a certain freedom to bring themselves in, where they are respected. And, and, and of course the conditions and the money has to be right and the, shares, um, and the shares can be part of a compensation. That is something that can happen. It has happened to some, uh, to some of the management in, a, in a jobs.ch at a time where, you know, where we already knew that the company is worth much more than what we've given the shares for, mm -hmm. not the, the CEO mm -hmm. very early on, uh, he brought uh, money of his own and, and, and built up a little position. Mm -hmm. But otherwise it's not, it's, not always, uh, it's not always an issue, it's not always necessarily. How do you necessary. do it with your other companies now, with uh, Tom Talent for example, is it owned by you or do you have like programs like stock option plans or something um, where you or you give away shares? We have uh, with, uh, with Tom Talent, with my holding company, uh, I have one partner of 10%, that's, uh, that's my CFO who's been with me for eight years. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, not as a CFO, first as an accountant and he became CFO. And then four years ago, I think we decided that he, uh, that he, he decided he wanted, I decided I wanted him to be part of it. And now same is going to be with uh, our CEO who's now with me for four years. Uh, we always said that it's an option with the CEO, but we never said that it absolutely has to be. And mm -hmm. I think that's the right attitude. Okay, you to know, do it like it, later on, to really make sure that these people are, that they prove that they stay on, that they are valuable to the company, then you involve them, but not very early on. Yes, because I think if, they're, if, they're, if, they're main, if their main motivation is just to get some shares, it's just not the right... Uh, it's not the right. Uh, 
motivation, at least not for these kind of, uh, for these kind of companies. Mm -hmm. So you would advise that it's much better to create the right job for them, that they have a very happy, fulfilling job, and instead of giving them right from the beginning like shares and try to motivate to create them. To create the right culture mm -hmm. in the company and, uh, and to have the right, um, right goals for the company and uh, a motiv motivating uh, workspace, workspace with uh, exciting things to do in uh, interesting markets, you know, that's much more important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, for, you know, for me, money and shares was not always the main motivation. Right, right. Mm. And Actually, it's never been my mm -hmm. main motivation. Never. My interest was always creating something and building something, you know, and, 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 and the fact that that became rich. That's actually um, that was uh, a Nebenwirkung. How do you say yeah. that in English? Side effect. Side effect. It was a side yeah. effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, <clears throat> um, you were building the company in this um, dot com hype we had um, end of nineties, and then it crashed. It's a pure coincidence. It's yeah. a pure coincidence that we were building a dot com company because I'm not a technical person at all. You know, it's not like. Hey, there's a dot-com hype going on. Let's build the dot-com <laughs> Com company. company. It was yeah. not at all like that. You know, it was just like the the natural evolution of of what happened in our human resources market that we were working in. Right, but you use the internet to build something which was more valuable or which was a, a better offering to your customers than the old newspapers were. So you use the internet as an instrument. It was not something which that was could very become, technical. That beco could become potentially a, a valuable alternative to right. what existed with the right. printer. Yeah. Right. But how much did then, when the bubble burst, did affect that you? Like, was there some customers that didn't book you anymore, or was there some insecurity? No, the only thing that happened is that uh, uh, that the bank who had uh, given us, with a lot of PR, mm -hmm. uh, startup loans. That they uh, that they tried to cut these loans, even some that they couldn't according to the contract. Mm -hmm. That was the only thing that happened. Yeah. And the other bank had to sort of help us out, which uh, which they did. But uh, but uh, at the time, this bank is just uh, you know they just incentive their their people to cut off any loan that they could, mm -hmm. and that was the only actually problem that we faced. Yeah, so with the customers and with the users, everything stayed the same, everything was growing, you didn't have I mean, any impact. <clears throat> you know, the, uh, of course the job market is something uh, that, uh, that goes with the general economy. So if the general economy is, uh, is down, the job market is not, is not uh, very good. You know, it's like with advertising. Right. So you didn't have... Um, so that, that had a certain effect, but it was not... But it was, it was not, not that huge. bad, yeah. No. Yeah, maybe maybe going now to since we talked about the the the, um, the exit of jobs.ch and and um, and and uh, opportunities you now have because you 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 made some money in that in that phase. Maybe now talking about what came after jobs.ch. What is the project that is the closest to your heart you have done the last ten years? You know, there was only one other company except for jobs.ch where I was uh, also a manager in the beginning and actually ran it, and that's Zermatt Unplugged the Music Festival. 
well, there, there was also the restaurants I had for a time in uh, in Sermat that I ran personally. But sort of the bigger, uh, it's it's only these two, of course. So I have a very special connection to that project, and it's also, of course, something that's very uh, something that you can really um, feel very much, especially when you're there. It's mm -hmm. not something uh, digital. It's a it's a total offline experience mainly and. Um, so that's very close to my heart, but I have to say, you know, that we've done quite a few things in the last years, um, financed it all ourselves. Not all of it, or actually more than half of it, was not successful in the end. What we are down to now is five companies. They're all successful. They all have a great management team, and I love them all in a way. You know, if you can talk about love, and I, 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 I love them all in a way the same and I have mm -hmm. a certain passion, a certain interest in all of these of these companies. And it goes very easy on me to 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 you know help develop and facilitate uh, the course of uh, these companies. Let's start with uh, Zermatt Unplugged. How, how did this idea came about and why does someone who has built a company like Jobs.ch <laughs> then said okay now I'm starting a music festival? How did well, you know, once after jobs.ch, my goal was not to try and go on to the next big thing. I think this is what happened to a lot of uh, other entrepreneurs and some even succeeded in building a next uh, bigger thing. But that was never my focus. Like I wanted to do things that I, that I loved because I had the possibility and I was given that possibility in a way. So I had started to spend... Uh, my winters in Zermatt, where I ran a sort of a bar club and, uh, and also a restaurant and another bar. It's a totally different life, which was an opportunity for me, you know, thanks to what I'd built before with, uh, with the teams uh, that, I, that I could, you know, grab that opportunity and, and, and do that. It's also clear that I probably was not going to do that for the rest of my life. But, Zermatt Unplugged evolved out of that uh, club vernissage that we were running, mm -hmm. where we were quite unsuccessfully putting all cultural programs and concerts. And then at one point, you know, there was a the decision either to just quit that totally or, or, or um, you know, try to just make it bitter, bigger, better, nicer. And, uh, and, and there came this idea with that... Uh, Let's do a music festival with something that's sort of tailored to Zermatt. It's not a huge business case idea, you know, I can tell you and everyone who's seeing this. <laughs> uh, it's a very difficult business because you depend on partnerships and sponsoring. That's a very difficult market, becoming more and more difficult. It depends uh, on, on artists. You know, there are a lot of very, very talented artists, but you depend on artists with names mm -hmm. uh, that are sort of bankable, you know, that, that, that when you put them on your poster, then that, the people uh, come. The people, that it brings people up, you know, you need some headliners. They're getting more and more expensive because more and more of the money that they make, they have to get out of their live shows. So, and there are a lot of competitive events. But we try to build something that's sort of unique as for the location, but also for the positioning. We're the biggest acoustic music festival, so, uh, you know, there's not just another festival. We mm -hmm. have this unique location, we have this unique positioning. And, um, and I think that's what made it 
quite a success. It's in, I think it's a it's a very well known festival. It's a very loved festival. It's making about five million in uh, in sales now, which is also good for an event like that. But it's you know every year you have to put it together new. So it's uh, it's a very it's it's a very ambitious uh, business case. But fortunately, we have a very good and committed team uh, on it who also most of them work for for many years on the project and uh, also with a lot of love for it. So there, there are also other companies you said. Um, there are startup companies, like one was in Germany, which you started, Twisper was the name of it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the idea of Twisper and what it now became? Because also there you said failing was a part of its story, right? Yeah, you know, actually the interesting thing with Twisper is it, was, it started as a very small project that we wanted to do, you know, just two or three people. And then uh, at one point it, it became sort of a startup of 30 people. Um, and, you know, I had warned, uh, I had warned my uh, former assistant, uh, who became the manager of it and myself a little bit of the Berlin startup market where I said, you know, there will be a lot of a lot of investors uh, running around uh, bragging, uh, but not investing their own money. There will be a lot of consultants who never created anything themselves, uh, but knowing everything better. And there will be a lot of wannabe entrepreneurs uh, thinking that their shit is gold and someone wants to take it away from them, you know. <laughs> And in the end, we tapped into, into, that whole <laughs> into, thing. into that whole thing and ended up being a 30-person company uh, with something that we totally financed ourselves, but not no proper business case, you know. And 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 I always say, what I, I like I like building a company and not a startup. And with this whole startup fever, I think sometimes it's a little bit like, oh yeah, let's build a startup. No. You're building a company, not a startup. Mm -hmm. You know the goal is not a startup. So, think about really think about what is the product you want to do. And I like when a company you can build it step by step. You know, mm -hmm. not like you throw a whole lot of money in, and then a few years later you find out if you wasted the money or the time. It's just yeah. something like smaller and step by step. And of course, there are certain cases, like building a nuclear plant or so on, is something, you know, you have these uh, huge investments, or if there's a P2C thing where you think you have to roll it out worldwide uh, right away and everyone waited for you, this is, of course, money that uh, takes up a lot of investment. But as we know, most of these things fail. Many more fail than, than, than succeed. It's, uh, most people say one out of ten uh, succeeds. It's maybe even less. And if you compare, if you look at maybe what the commitment is also of the startup entrepreneurs, um, who then in the end maybe have only a very small percentage in it, it's just a, it's just a, a cycle and a game that partly I don't like so much. Mm -hmm. But building something, you know, even finding ways in building it maybe without. External too much money. Uh, external money, you know, finding solutions like we found solution with with business partners like printers, you know, mm -hmm. we said one point where we were growing and we needed some money to grow. We had uh, uh, we had about 300,000 or 400,000 um, uh, worth in printing business. And we said we should find a printer who is willing to guarantee a bank loan for us for that money and then we can use that money to grow. You know? We didn't find one who guaranteed the bank loan but, but he gave us uh, th uh, 360 days 
penalties. So you know, it was it came down to the same for us, and it gave us it gave us the possibility to grow the company and to be maybe a bit more creative, a little bit less greedy, mm -hmm. and, and and develop the things you know more step step by step. I think uh, maybe it will not be the next Facebook that you built that way, but maybe it will be. Maybe it will be a good company that's in a small segment is market leader and then even something else develops out mm -hmm. of it. I have a few friends who've built internet uh, companies who just killed their Swiss market leading position by taking in uh, investment and going outside of Switzerland and trying to expand uh, a business no one waited for you in another right. country, you know. Right. This doesn't mean, of course, that if you create something in Switzerland that you can export, uh, that, that isn't a great thing, that is fantastic. You know, if you have a unique product uh, and you have a copyright on it and everyone needs it, then of course you should go outside Switzerland. But if you, have a, if you just have a service and many others are providing the same service in another country, then you just... You it's just very, very hard. Yeah, you potentially you just kill your small you good business with, uh, with your greed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe it comes all to the point where, where we can say that building a company should be um, the main task of a founding team and not of an investor. And when you really wait until you build the company and then you see, okay, we have these and that opportunities, that's the time when investors should come in. But what we see right now is that investors come in very, very early mm -hmm. because then they can take more shares for a cheaper amount of money. And that we see that very young founders, they don't have the possibility to get somewhere money. In Switzerland, living in Switzerland is quite expensive, so they have to get money somewhere. So I think that's a little bit the, the, the thing which should be like different, that there would be more time to build a company, so maybe working part-time, building a company on the side, and then seeing, okay, now it drives value, it creates, and we have customers who are paying, and then building from that on, and then saying, when you have the metrics and know how your business model is working, then bringing the investors on. That's uh, that's what I think, you know. Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, there are the Alain Chouillards. <laughs> and of course, there's, uh, like in film business, there's a Mark Forster. Mm -hmm. And I say, like, okay, well, follow your dream, go to LA, you know. But for someone who's reached his dream, like Mark Forster, there may be uh, 200 or 2,000 who mm -hmm. went there and didn't make it. And, right. and for everyone, like Alain Chouillard, there may be also 2,000 who definitely didn't make it on mm -hmm. that scale as, mm -hmm. as, as, as he made it, you know. So I think we have to be careful to not sell lottery, you know, like we say, well, get into that, you know, and mm -hmm. then you can make it. Yeah, maybe mm -hmm. one of thousand can make it that way, mm -hmm. you know. But if, if, if you're looking at it as you just described it, then I think it's just much more tangible. Mm -hmm. And that, that way, I think it's more likely you have success. But then maybe it's not a you're not the next founder of Facebook mm -hmm. that way. Or maybe you can even become it, but it's another way, you know. You, but can, even, but you build it step by step. It's just not, you're not the billionaire at 29. But that's fine. It's, it's anyway the wrong motivation to become a billionaire at 29. It's not going to make you happier if you're unhappy in the first place. And so. probably the ones who are aiming to become a billionaire at 29, they will never be it. 
because they forgot about building it. Very likely. Probably Mark, Very Mark Zuckerberg likely. didn't say, I want to become a billionaire. Probably Mark Zuckerberg was, was building out of his storm. He was building something. And then people around him realized, oh, he's really onto something. And then they started to invest. So even in his case, I think probably with throwing money at an idea, the idea doesn't get better. Probably the idea gets worse. Not at, not at all. And, you know, uh, I found out myself, I had quite a, quite a lot of money to play mm -hmm. in the last year that I used to play in a way. And uh, I have to, to realize that, uh, if, even, you know, me saying that, you know, mm -hmm. I have to realize that uh, money often doesn't make a difference or at least it doesn't make a difference in the right direction if you don't really fundamentally understand the markets and if you don't have the right people. Then you're not. Then you're not getting anything done just because of the money, because uh, money is the worst USP. I always say. <laughs> yeah. I always say. Uh, you know, it's it's the most exchangeable thing, and that's what it was uh, invented for. Right. So it's it's not it's not a good USP to be in the business with. Yeah. Right, and you don't have to be creative if you have enough money. Mm -hmm. Like probably the most creative phase with jobs.ch was at this beginning where you almost had no money mm -hmm. and if an investor would have come in 96 or 97 and give you a whole bunch of money, maybe you were still in this old business model and not would have found out what is behind this, this mm -hmm. door and then developed jobs.ch. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I would agree. So we're already coming to the end of our discussion, but something which I really also would like to talk about is about how do you um, make yourself, like you're pretty sick right now and you, 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 you showed up for the interview, so that's a lot, thank you for that. But when you are um, working and when you have a lot of projects, how do you focus on and how do you stay healthy besides today? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I try, of course, you know, I was, uh, with 30, I started to do a little bit of sports. So I do that, I do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of uh, running and I work out a little bit. And, uh, but then at the same time, I have a lot of dinners and drink a lot of red wine, which also helps me to relax. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's, uh, you know, if you, if you do stuff that you love, with people that you that you like or some of them even love, it's a, it's a great thing to stay healthy and to to stay happy and it's a great privilege, and that's the life I can live and that's the privilege I I feel and not the money that I've made, you know. Mm -hmm. So you ask always yourself, do I really love what I'm doing? And if you don't love it, then you stop doing it. I, yes, I don't, you know, I've not done it so consequently and to be very honest, I don't do it super 100% consequent even now, but I, I, I'm trying to do it more and more consequent. I think it's the right, it's uh, the way you put it, it's the, right, it's the right way, that's how it should be. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time and especially because you were sick and or you're still sick and you made it through the whole interview. So <laughs> kudos for that and I hope to meet again, Thomas. Yes, sure. It was good seeing you again, Chris. Thank you. Right.